Part six, chapter twenty of the Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Hall Cain. Part six, chapter twenty. It had been a night of pain to Philip. All the world seemed to be conspiring to hold him back from what he had to do. Thou shalt not was the legend that appeared to be written everywhere. Four persons had learnt his secret and all four seemed to call upon him to hide it. First the clerk of the rolls, who had heard the divorce proceedings within closed doors. Next Pete, who might have clamoured the scandal on all hands, and plucked him down from his place, but had chosen to be silent and to slip away unseen. Then Caesar, whose awful self-deception was an assurance of his secrecy. And finally Auntie Nan, whose provision for Kate's material welfare had been intended to prevent the necessity for revelation. All these had seemed to say to him, whether from affection or from fear, Hold your peace, say nothing. The past is the past. It is dead. It does not exist. Go on with your career. It is only beginning. What right have you to break it up? The island looks to you, waits for you. Step forward and be strong. Thank God it was too late to be moved by that temptation, too late to be bought by that bribe. Already he had taken the irrevocable course, he had made the irrevocable step, he could not now go back. But the awful penalty of the island's undeceiving, the pain of that moment when everybody would learn that he had deceived the whole world. He was a sham, a whited sepulchre. Every step he had gone up in his quick ascent had been over the body of someone who had loved him too well. First Kate, who had been the victim of the deemstership, and now Pete, who was paying the price that made him governor. He could see the darkened looks of the proud, he could hear the execration of the disappointed. He could feel the tears of the true-hearted at the downfall of a life that had looked so fair. In the frenzy of that last hour of trial, it seemed as if he was contending, not with man and the world, but with the devil, who was using both to make this bitter irony of his position, who was bribing him with worldly glory that he might damn his soul for ever. And therein lay a temptation that sat closer at his side, the temptation to turn his face and fly away. It was midnight. The moon was shining on the boundless plain of the sea. He was in the slack water of the soul, when the ebb is spent, before the tide has begun to flow. Oh, to leave everything behind, the shame and the glory together. It was the moment when the girls on Peel Quay were pulling the rope for the men on the boats who were ready to vote for Christian. The pains of sleep were yet greater. He thought he was in Castletown, skulking under the walls of the castle. With a look up towards Parliament House and down to the harbour, he fumbled his private key into the lock of the side entrance to the council chamber. The old caretaker heard him creep down the long corridor, and she came clattering out with a candle, shaded behind her hand. "'Something I've forgotten,' he said. "'Pardon, Your Honour,' and then a deep curtsy. He opened noiselessly the little door leading from the council chamber to the keep, but in the dark shadow of the steps the turnkey challenged him. "'Who's there? Stop!' "'Hush! The deemster!' "'Beg your honour's pardon.' "'Show me the female wards.' "'This way, your honour.' "'Her cell.' "'Here, your honour.' "'The key, your lantern. Now go back to the guard-room.' He was with Kate. "'My love! My love!' My darling, come, let us fly away from the island. I cannot face it. I thought I could, but I cannot. 
I've got the child, too. Come. And then Kate. I would go anywhere with you, Philip. Anywhere, anywhere. I only want your love. But is this worthy of a man like you? Leave me. We have fallen too low to drop into a pit like that. Away with you. Go. And he slunk out of the cell, before the wrathful love that would save him from himself. He, the deemster, the governor, had slunk out like a dog. It was only a dream. When he awoke, the birds were singing, and the day was blue over the sea. The temptation was past. It was under his feet. He could hesitate no longer. His cup was brimming over. He would drink it to the dregs. Gemma Lord came with his mouth full of the news. The town was decorated with bunting. There was to be a general holiday. A grandstand had been erected on the green in front of the courthouse. The people were not going to be deterred by the deemster's refusals. He who shrank from honours was the more worthy of being honoured. They intended to present their new governor with an address. Let them, let them, said Philip. Jem looked up inquiringly. His master's face had a strange expression. Shall I drive you to-day, Your Excellency? Yes, my lad. It may be for the last time, Jemmy. What was amiss with the governor? Had the excitement proved too much for him? End of Part 6, Chapter 20